cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species, organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose, to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy, the definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny, and I play Nathan Quinn, the captain of the USS Arabella. And this is Jen. I play the Vulcan First Officer Commander Savril. Today's episode will feature readings by various forum members, and we'll discuss the story so far afterwards. And lastly, we'll discuss our final thoughts. We are the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. This post was written by Iceman and read by Moyer777. Dr. Peterson looked at Eric James and said, I have a suggestion. I don't know how feasible it is, but it might be worth looking into. Perhaps replicating some of the nanobites that you and Aria possess might help us treat some of our Borgified crew members and get them up on their feet much quicker. I'd also like to request for some non-essential crew members to help move non-life-threatening patients out of sickbay to the afterburner, as well as a couple of security crew if you can spare them with some extra phasers. Although my staff is trained in combat, we are not security officers. We're doctors and nurses, and although sickbay is secure now, if it falls, then we're in deep trouble, as we are the only ones who can save our crew and patch up the wounded to keep fighting and defending our ship. We're all tired, I know, but if we can get a few more crew members and security officers, my staff can concentrate on the wounded and get them out of sickbay quicker instead of having to divide my staff by having them do policing duties as well. As you all know, as important as this meeting here is, me being here is impeding the progress of dealing with the wounded as I was pulled out of my surgery to be here, just as you all were pulled out of your duties. Saving our Borgify crew will require additional security, especially if they get out of hand, and I suggest we start with any security and command personnel who have fallen victim to the Borg, as we will need them. Dr. Peterson stopped and waited for Eric to respond to his suggestions and requested for additional staff. Dr. Peterson hoped he would get some additional help as he was extremely swamped in sickbay and short of a doctor with an accidental death of Ryla Drett. The next post is by In Stitches and will be read by Jen. Ensign Spring Farmer, resplendently indigo in her native terracic guise, staggered under the burden of the injured human engineer. She was petite 
and whipcord thin, but 112 pounds was still 112 pounds. Her head lolled onto Mackie's shoulder, and she moaned in pain. Mackie? Mackie used her free hand to claw open the false blue skin, disguising the gill slits beneath her jaw. She emitted more of the anesthetic scent, lacing it with calming endorphins, using the natural talent of her species. She wished she could remove the uncomfortable gland covers over her ribcage to strengthen the odor, but the laced bodice was more than she could manage now. Her reopened gill slits would have to do. Her enhanced combat translated the odors she used for communication and spewed calming sounds. It's all right, just keep moving your feet. We're on deck five, almost to sick bay. Unaltered fertilians had gill slits on either side of their noses, but Mackie had opted for cosmetic relocation, moving the slits down to her neck. Her usual blonde wig, disguising a lack of ears and hair, had been replaced with implanted pale blue candy floss hair as part of her native disguise for the previous mission. She had been rather enjoying it, and the accompanying pointed ears, before the attack had made cosmetic considerations unimportant. Now the hair was matted with the teenager's blood. Scalp wound, thought Mackie. Most species bleed a lot from head wounds. It's not as bad as it looks. Just keep her conscious. The injury didn't smell dire. Not yet, anyway. Talk to me, Jenny. Normally this would have been an unnecessary injunction, considering Jenny's mile-a-minute verbal style. But the injury had slowed her down. Uh? Specifics. Ask for specifics. Tell me about your brother. Um, where's he from? She kept moving. Nakoda? He's on Mars Colony. She took a breath through her nose. He's a... She muttered something unintelligible. It smelled like fresh-baked cookies to Mackie. He's a what? Jenny whimpered slightly, then surprised Mackie with a lopsided smile. He's a brat. The next post was written by Shepard and read by Moyer777. As they walked, Reese tried to get Visual to talk about his past, but nothing seemed to be able to get him to speak. Reese gave up and let Visual be. They continued on silently. Visual thought to himself of all the torment he had gone through. He didn't want to relive that. He couldn't let himself relive that. He didn't know how Reese would respond if he tried talking about it. Reese could be just like the others. Fishwell tried not to think about it. He began looking around, focusing his attention elsewhere. The wall, the floor, the injured girl. He then noticed something on her face, behind her hair. He focused in on that spot. It was a Borg implant emerging from within her skin. Reese, I think she's been infected by the Borg. All the more reason she needs our help, Reese replied. Reese, Borg can't be changed back as far as I know, Fishwell paused thinking. At least not as easily, and not without later repercussions. We are not leaving her, Reese's mind was made up. I wasn't talking about leaving her. We're not going to kill her. I've heard of lots of Borg that have been revived. Besides, she's not all gone, only a few implants showing. Implants are inside. There's no way to tell how bad it is. Then we get her to sickbay and find out. What if she comes to before we get there? She'll go straight to killing us both. I think we need to take that chance, Fizz. Okay, but if she goes Borg on us, we put her down. Last option. Only then do we... Reese paused, and he didn't like that option under any circumstance. You know, 
I just hope you'll be ready if and when the time comes, Dave. Fishwell just wanted his friend to be safe and understand the magnitude of their situation like he did, but the Borg was seemingly driving them away. Fishwell began hoping for any possible excuse to get away from the abomination they were aiding. This post is by Wraith1701 and will be read by Rico. In the briefing room, Catan made a conscious effort to put aside the grief and anger he was feeling and to focus on the matter at hand. At the front of the room, Commander James concluded his summary of the situation. It all boiled down to three objectives. Repair the Arabella, somehow stop the Borg sphere that was pursuing them, and retrieve their missing crewmates. Where should we begin, James said, gesturing towards the ship's mastered systems display. Naturally concerned with saving the infected crew members, Dr. Peterson spoke up. Perhaps replicating some of the nanobots that you and Arya possess might help us treat some of our Borgified crew members and get them up on their feet much quicker. Catan's eyebrow quirk, the doctor brought up an interesting point. As Peterson continued, Catan thought of a quote by the famous Klingon strategist Laman. In battle, he who learns to use one batlith to vanquish multiple foes will emerge the victor. As Peterson concluded, Catan gave the doctor a nod of respect. Dr. Peterson brings up a good point, he said. Perhaps we can use these nanobots to achieve several goals at once. He stood to address the gathered officers. I remember reading back in the academy about an ensign on the Enterprise-D who made crude nanobots for repair work. Would it be possible to replicate your nanites, as Dr. Peters suggests, and program them to identify the Borg signature? And could they be programmed to attack anything bearing that signature? Catan's gestures became more animated as the idea took form in his head. Kind of like the way that human white blood cells detect and destroy foreign objects in the bloodstream, the nanites could act as the Arabella's own army of white blood cells, attacking the areas of the ship's damaged by the Borg and repairing them. Perhaps you could even employ this same tactic with our infected crew members, using the nanites to attack their implants while repairing any damaged tissue. If we can divert enough energy to the replicators, perhaps we can even flood the ship with the nanites and let them attend any crewmen or areas of the ship that we might miss. Catan slammed a fist into his palm with a solid smack, and if we are able to introduce these into the sphere itself, think of the damage they might cause. Granted, the Borg would eventually adapt to the nanites, perhaps even incorporate them into their own structure, but the attack just might shut them down for a few minutes. We can use those minutes to try and retrieve any crew members they might have abducted. The next post was written by Hawkeye Meds, and it's read by Meds. Dekalin tapped the last instructions for the security team with his fingers as he concentrated on Katarn's words. Once he finished, he walked forward and passed the acting captain's chair. He looked down at her and nodded. Savrell looked up at him. We have help as well, Commander. Dennis is in the main components of our ship. So far, he has not only helped me dodge the Borg, but he has helped Karaf and the rest of engineering secure the decks. He has the best vantage point we could possibly ask for, inside the ship itself. The Carlin pushed past Savrell's chair and he suddenly remembered the information Theron had given him and something regarding Dennis clicked in his mind. And here's another post by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds. Seville's eyebrow raised slightly at hearing Dennis's name. Continue, Lieutenant DeCullen. Joseph walked to the monitor. Dennis has been helping an engineer with Carath and Tuck. 
He has an idea regarding our Borg problem. Basically, his plan is to power down the Borg alcoves. If we can cut power from them, well, they simply cannot power back up. Turning to look at the monitor, the calendar dressed to blank screen. Hey, Dennis, you with us, mate? The blank screen suddenly burst into life and words came onto the screen. It's nice to be back in conversation. I have monitored all Borg activity. We need to get them into their alcoves, and once they are there, we can then power down all the energy. Dekalan turned to the other officers and moved away so they could all see the information that Dennis began to show. The next post was written by In Stitches and Moyer777. It's also read by Moyer777. Upon entering sickbay, a wave of varying sights and smells assaulted Mackie's senses. She concentrated on Ginny, helping her to lie down on the floor out of the walkway. She stood searching for an available medic. There was the Bork stench, of course, partially necrotic tissues blended with a variety of machine smells, the smell of fear, of calm, barely masking distress. She could help here. She emitted the same calming scent she had used for Ginny and began to unlace the constricting bodice in order to remove the gland covers she used to tone down the emission so clearly needed now. That was when it hit her. Ryla's scent, like fresh laundry and ginger, free of the symbiont's own scent, fading into ashes. Ryla was dead, and the symbiont was no more erased. Her two dearest friends... The Vertilian view of death was different than that of most species. There was no belief in the afterlife, no memorials, no grieving, just a pragmatic expectation that people would die. New friendships would spring up to replace the old ones. But Ryla and Dret, her symbiote, had been special to Mackie in a way she had never experienced on her home planet. They had to be closer than family. Dret spoke to her in a way that couldn't be communicated with anyone else even Ryla herself. It was as though a part of Mackie was gone. She stumbled out of sickbay, needing to escape the death smell of Ryla. You have a job to do, she told herself as she moved down the corridor. Find the injured, defend the ship, do what you can. She shifted into a jog and soon found herself jumping over a deactivated drone, one servo motor still working in a leg. Two steps beyond it was the door to Margon's counseling office. The door was rhythmically opening and shutting, catching on the foot that protruded into the hallway. A Borg foot, attached to a Borg leg. She cautiously approached, smelling the cherry popsicle smell she attached to Margon, the white electricity of, of her feral panic, and the Borg, of course. The Borg lay prone, assimilation tubules still jetting from its gray hand but unmoving. She stomped on the delicate tubules, crushing them. Next to the Borg lay Margon. He, too, was still in native disguise. His features were now a curious blend of artificial terrosic red, blending in places with the dead Borg gray and the angry, dark blue bruising that characterized Bolian's skin. His round little stomach bellied his quick breathing. Then, feline panic smell was still fresh but somewhat dampened with her presence. She sent out the smell of rich cream, sweet clover, and sun-warmed fur to calm Margon's cat, Mr. Mouse. She kept the smell going as she attended to the counselor. She rolled him onto his back and breathed into his face. Margon! One eye was gone, replaced with a dark mechanical enhancement. 
She stared as she realized the reason for the bruising. A tiny Borg implant manifested itself on the counselor's cheek, unfolding into a flowery, metalized spider. It then trembled and fell away, the counselor's skin showing a bruise where the implant had been rejected. Margot! She emitted a short burst of ammonia-like smell, hoping to break through the counselor's trance. In the silence of his mind, Margon struggled to make sense out of the strange order that had overcome him, and at the same time he felt himself fighting it. It wasn't natural. A strange smell woke him to see Spring Mackey Farmer crouching next to him. Only one of his eyes would open, the other eye stung, and it had no vision at all. He tried to get out words, but they weren't forming quickly enough. Spring spoke soothingly to Margon as one of the Borg technology began to exit his body. For a moment, the newly grown Borg eyeball that was covered by black metallic laser-type structure moved. It rolled in the socket and then simply popped out. The sound startled Mr. Mouse, who shot across the room and batted the mechanical ball to the other side of the room. It was then that Margon smiled and pushed himself up off the floor. Darn, I probably could have used that. We need to get you to sickbay, counselor, she said, and grabbed him around the waist. The two officers made their way to the door, but not before Mr. Mouse run under their feet and almost caused them both to fall. As if it couldn't get worse, Spring smelled something odd. Odd, but not threatening. Musk and chocolate? Getting progressively stronger. She looked up just as the two marsupials dropped into her borrowed blue hair. Mackie noted with surprise the smell of contentment. The cluster of five organic life forms skirted the Borg corpses and headed for help. This post is written by Jen, also read by Jen. Having received orders to locate Counselor Margon, Ensign Talon Bowers left his post on Deck 6 and headed for the Boolean's quarters. Since his first encounter with the Borg, he had personally eliminated five drones and was functioning on a level of hyper-alertness. His tired blue eyes darted about nervously as he maneuvered towards the officer's cabin. He was numb with remorse, and with fear of the inevitable consequences. Do they know? No. Of course they don't. If they did, they wouldn't be sending me after the counselor. But maybe the situation is such that all personnel, regardless of whether they inadvertently shot an unarmed medical officer or not, are required to secure the ship. Yes, they know what I did. How could they not? He swallowed hard as the image of the dying woman being rushed past him slipped into his thoughts like an invading nightmare. Stepping out of the turbo lift, he paused in the corridor and leaned wearily against the bulkhead. His heart pounded like a hammer in his chest, and the palms of his hands had begun to sweat. He shifted the rifle in his hands as he wiped them on his duty trousers. This was the first time he had been alone to think about what happened. The first chance he had to think about what he had done. The tall, dark-haired Terran closed his eyes tightly in an attempt to squeeze the vision from his thoughts, but to no avail. A second later, he was back in the afterburner. The sounds of panicked screams, Borg servos, and intermittent phaser fire filled his ears. He could smell the electricity in the air as the drones short-circuited after being struck by energy beams. The room was dark, and he did not have the proper equipment, the equipment he needed to separate enemy from friend. 
Talon pounded the back of his head against the wall in the corridor as the scene continued to play out in his mind. The afterburner was dark, yet when the room was lit with phaser fire, he could see clearly. His eyes focused on two forms at the far end of the lounge, a drone attacking a child. The light in the room quickly dimmed and then brightened again as his fellow security officers fired at the drone. Within that nanosecond of illumination, he witnessed a frantic woman defending the small boy. Again, the room faded to black before the bright light of phasers lit the area once more. It was then he saw the woman being tossed aside by the drone. From his position near the entrance of the lounge, Talon lined up his shot. The afterburner was dark again. He waited for another flash of light and squeezed a pulse from his rifle to fire at the drone. As his own phaser blast flashed within the room, he saw the woman fall again. Talon's tortured shout filled the corridor as he slammed his head against the wall in anger and frustration. The drone had escaped with the boy, and he had shot an innocent bystander. I saw her being tossed aside an instant before. She couldn't have gotten up so quickly after that. He opened his eyes just as Spring Farmer rounded the corner with Margon leaning heavily upon her. At first, the security officer was taken back by the odd appearance of the terroristic disguises and he reflexively raised the barrel of his rifle. Mackie froze in place as the counselor raised his pale gaze to meet Talon's wide-eyed expression. The Fertilian wasted no time in emitting a calming scent and watched as Ensign Bowers lowered his weapon. A little help here. She grunted as she shifted the counselor under her small frame. Why is Dennis in the mainframe? Something horrible has happened. Savril was certain of it. She fought the urge to ask Dennis where the twins were. She couldn't ask. Not there. Not during the briefing. She may not be capable of containing whatever emotion would pour out after hearing the hologram's account of whatever had happened. Instead... Savril forced her expression to remain placid, swallowed down the fear, and thanked him for his assistance. Both proposals sound promising. Which one will ensure the quickest and most effective result? The next post was written by Star Trek Fanatic 5 and read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. Quinn paced back and forth in the assimilation chamber. The Borg had erected some sort of dampening field around the chamber that made Nathan's telepathy useless. He was truly alone. No voices in his head, only his terrified thoughts of what was coming. Suddenly he heard some footsteps as three Borg approached the entrance to the chamber. They proceeded to walk through the force field and over to Quinn. As they approached, Nathan backed up, looking for something he could use for a weapon. But there was nothing. Quinn noticed that one of the Borg was Nicholas Took and a stab of pain could be felt in his heart. Nathan had to keep telling himself that this was not his Nick. His Nick was safe on the Arabella. The three spoke in unison. Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, lie down on the table, prepare for assimilation. Quinn looked around, hoping for something, anything. Resistance is futile. Borg took, grabbed Nathan by the arm, and forced him over to the table. Quinn struggled as they strapped him down. Nathan reached out with his mind and tried to communicate with Took, but it was no use. There was no individual, there was only the collective. Then Quinn heard in his own mind, It is useless, Captain Quinn. He is mine, as you soon will be, came the voice of Locutus. Nathan could hear the three Borgs preparing to assimilate him. He looked into Nick's eyes one last time before the Borg raised his right arm to Nathan's neck and inserted the tubes 
to inject the Borg nanites. It was a strange feeling as Quinn could feel the nanites coursing through his bloodstream. Suddenly there was a loud explosion coming from outside the assimilation chamber and several people entered through the blown out wall. Quinn could hear phaser fire and loud explosions but wasn't able to move. Just before Quinn passed out, he heard one of the men say, Take this one. He has just been assimilated. Dr. Margon will be very pleased with us. Then there was darkness. The next post is the beginning of Act 2, The Mere Universe. Our first post is written by Jen and will be read by Jen. The Melee-class frigate was the only ship in the fleet that the ruler himself traveled upon. The flagship was painted blood red and bore the name Tiberius on the saucer section's hull plating. Above the designation rested the emblem of the Empire. A dagger plunged into the heart of the planet Earth, which was the seat of power in three quadrants and the core of his domain. The vessel was a reflection of his supremacy and the embodiment of his dominance. Like the Emperor, the battleship assailed its enemies with ferocity, evoking fear within the hearts of even the most valiant defenders. Emperor Locke sat within his quarters on the frigate, staring at the battle being waged outside his viewport. He was a calculating and brutal man, the son of a wealthy merchant, but his bloodline was also saturated with the DNA of warriors. David's ingenious concepts, and his ability to sell them to others, blended with his athletic prowess to create the ultimate sovereign. Yet, like all legendary leaders, he had his weakness, and like most men, that weakness was a woman. She was seated beside him, speaking low in his ear. He closed his eyes and enjoyed the warmth of her breath. David Locke could have any female that struck his fancy, but Savril was the only one that made his heart leap. It had not mattered that she was the wife of his best friend. He could simply rewrite the law and the Vulcan would be his. But years of observation told David that her spirit would prevent her from submitting to such an obvious manipulation. He had to be subtle and patient in his efforts to win her. Her husband had been a general in the Emperor's army, and it pained him to lose such a noble and loyal friend, but David's lust for his comrade's wife moved him to strike like a snake. He ordered the man on a suicide mission against the Borg five years earlier. Savril was free of her husband, and under the Emperor's care for three years before she finally agreed to become his mistress, yet her heart never truly belonged to him. The deep depression kept it from his grip, despite his attempts to win her affection. A year after she became the Emperor's mistress, the Vulcan woman learned of his dark deed. A shadowy figure detailed David's twisted scheme to eliminate her husband two years prior. The informant's sole intent was to recruit Savril as a spy, which was not as difficult as the handler thought. The Vulcan was all too willing and over time she learned to fake an affection for the man she loathed, but not for her handler's cause. Savril had but one desire, to take David Locke apart from the inside out for the pain he caused her. Listening for voices, Joseph DeCon waited in the corridor outside the Emperor's room. The low murmur of a woman's alto could be heard through the door. 
The arch interrogator had an interest in the mistress as well, but it wasn't her beauty that inspired his curiosity. He'd always been suspicious of Mistress Savril. De Colin believed it was foolish of the Emperor to take the wife of a former general. Regardless of friendships, military leaders were also driven by power. It had always been Joseph's assumption that General Tevian was quietly plotting against the Emperor, and it was likely Tevian's former wife shared those aspirations. Joseph furrowed his brow. Surely the Emperor had more reason than just the woman to send the general to his death. Perhaps I'm not the only one who suspected the Vulcan man of treason. The battle rumbled through the deck plates, dragging DeCollin from his thoughts. Yes, came a roar from the Emperor's quarters. The door opened just as the Vulcan stood from her place at the ruler's side. She nodded curtly at DeCollin. His eyes seemed to follow her everywhere she went, and she despised him for it. She smoothed her blue form-fitting suit and pushed a long strand of raven hair behind one ear. DeCollin watched her lean close to whisper to the Emperor. The arch interrogator strained to hear, but only picked up on the words, raise, and mind meld. Locke smiled up at her. I agree. It would be a more effective means of gathering information from him. You have my permission. Savril bent to give the Emperor a deep kiss, and as she did, she tilted her head to the side and fired a scowl at the interrogator, which prompted him to avert his eyes. He glanced back a few times, waiting for the lengthy show of affection to come to an end. When it finally did, the Emperor dismissed her, and the woman moved with a deliberate sway past a Colin, keeping her intense glare locked on his own. The door hissed open, and the Vulcan disappeared into the corridor. The ship rumbled in unison with the Emperor's booming voice. What do you want? The next post is a joint post by Hawkeye Meds and Jen, and it will be read by Meds. Emperor Locke was seated with his back to the door. His cold blue eyes were focused on the random bursts of light which erupted within the black void behind his viewport. His ship had entered battle. At the sound of shuffling, he turned his broad shoulders to face the interrogator and grumbled an irritated curse as he noted the Carlin's presence. Within a dismissive smirk, he turned back to the spectacle of battle. The interrogator lifted his head, his black hair dropped around his pale face and circled his red bloodshot eyes. I apologise for interrupting you, Emperor, and I assure you, if my visit was of no importance, I would not have risked angering you. Get on with it, then. It appears, Emperor that Margon is becoming somewhat over-enthusiastic when it comes to his little tests. His manners appear to have escaped him, has not had chance to welcome our most recent visitor. The Borg are not visitors to Carlin. They are enemies, and the purpose of Margon's tests are of no consequence to you. Yet, so that you no longer concern yourself with the welfare of our guests, I will gladly bring you up to speed. Sarcasm dripped off his words like blood from a curved and rusty blade. He paused to let them soak in before continuing. Our twisted blue Bolian is attempting to reprogram the captured drones as soldiers of the Empire, and he assures me that he is nearing success. If you were allowed to have the prisoners first, I would gain nothing more than stinking bodies to eject from the airlock. The Emperor's back was still turned, and De Carlin knew he could easily plunge a dagger into it, but he had nowhere to go. 
Now as we escape, the wrath of the Imperial henchman. He sneered instead and carefully replied, But the man he tests on now is not a drone. He is a human. And a human who was freed from the central alcove of the Borg King's vessel. I am certain he has information vital to our cause, and yet Margon is ENOUGH! The Emperor's booming voice rattled within the room. You will quietly wait your turn, interrogator. Yes, Emperor. The Callan worked his jaw in frustration and continued, And what of Peters? He is my prisoner, and yet I just heard you turn him over to Zavril. Why? David slowly stood and turned slightly to look down at the Callan over one shoulder. Because she asked for him. That is all the answer you need. Do not question it again, or Margan will have an interrogator as his next lab animal. The Carlin bowed and spun quickly on his heel to leave the Emperor's room. Savril was up to something, and he would prove it. Nathan Quinn found himself within another dark chamber, yet this one was cold. The only lights came from directly above him, and he squeezed his eyes shut against their harshness. He turned his head to the side and opened them again. The parameter surrounding his metal lab table was filled with transparent containers holding the gruesome body parts of various Borg drones. The implants still glowed eerily within the yellow solution. They were submerged in. Nathan's heart pounded and his ears focused on mysterious noises that stabbed from the darkness. After a moment, they pinpointed and identified the distinct sound of boots against the metal floor. Just out of line with his sight, Dr. Margon circled him like a predator. I trust I am not disturbing you, Doctor, said a hoarse voice from the other side of the room. Startled, Nathan's head rolled in the direction of the voice in a futile attempt to locate his fender. He heard the footsteps halt, then a scuffling sound as the man called Margon pivoted to address the voice. What are you doing in my lab, Callan? Are you volunteering for something? Perhaps you've decided to donate your body to science. You are beginning to try my patience, Margon, hissed the voice. I feel it necessary to remind you of your position aboard this ship. Any packages that have come aboard must be delivered to me first, no matter how pathetic they may appear. Margon laughed. The Emperor has authorised all my procedures. You have no influence here. I trust the package has not yet been spoiled by your pathetic attempts at research, Doctor. That title does not suit you. Butcher will be more fitting, I believe. Margan snapped back at the Callan's cool, calm words. Do be careful, the Callan, or you may find an appendage in one of my jars. Before Margan could finish his sentence, the gloved hand grasped his neck, and he had just enough time to see the glint of a cold, silver scalpel breeze his chin. Another word from you, Doctor? Margan. And your head will be added to my own macabre collection. Finish your useless experiment, and send him to the interrogation room, alive and in one piece. He let Margon go, and watched him step backwards. He was impressed that the Bolian had not once taken his eyes off his own. I'll have Mr. Dunn come and collect him when you're finished. The Callan slipped into the darkness. The light from the corridor spilled into the dark room, indicating his absence. Margon wiped the blood from his chin, and in a fit of rage flung a jar containing a Borg arm to the floor. He would have to limit his plans for the man he had on the table, for the Callan was favoured by the Emperor and he would not risk the wrath of his ruler. The next post is by Wraith1701 and will be read by Rico. The IKS Negvar leisurely glided through space, the blue-green orb of the planet Konos spinning slowly beneath her. She was a fearsome vessel, her forward-thrusting command module connecting to the larger engineering section by a long, slightly tapered neck. 
two downswept pylons protruded from each side of the engineering module, terminating a pair of the most powerful warp nacelles in the klingon cardassian Union. As he glanced through the viewport of the shuttle carrying him to the ship, the Klingon Admiral Karak gave a grim nod of approval. His flagship was truly a thing of beauty and would be sure to keep the Terran hordes at bay. The light of the system's primary star briefly illuminated the battlecruiser's gray-green hull, bringing the Negvar's predatory curves into sharp relief. To Karak, her downswept wings gave her the appearance of a mighty raptor sweeping in to disembowel its prey. Karak turned to the half-Terran, half-Cardassian man piloting the shuttle. He grimaced in distaste, once again wondering how such a half-breed abomination had been allowed to live once it was spit out of the Terran who birthed it. Yet another example of the moral depravity of our Cardassian allies, he thought. Bring us into the port docking bay, Patak, he bellowed. And if you so much as scratch the paint on the Negvar, I'll personally carve your filthy hide from your bones. The man piloting the shuttle nodded, giving no sign of the outrage boiling within him. You racist, self-important piece of filth, he thought. If there was any justice in the universe, you would be killed a thousand times over. Yes, Admiral, he replied. Although accustomed to the volatile mood of the Klingon Admiral, the pilot was caught off guard by the hardened fist which suddenly smashed into the side of his face, jerking his head violently to the left and throwing him out of his chair. Lying sprawled on the shuttle's floor, the pilot gingerly dabbed the blood welling up from his torn cheek. He looked up to see the Klingon Admiral looming above him, murder in his eyes. "'Who gave you permission to speak to me?' Karak bellowed. "'Give me your name, Patak!' so that I can report your insubordination to your Cardassian superiors. His arms quivering in combined anger and fear, the pilot carefully answered the admiral. My name is Danan, admiral. I apologize for offending you. I care nothing for apologies, Danan. They are useful only to the weak. Correct spoke the pilot's name as though it left a foul taste in his mouth. Return to your station and do not speak to me again unless I command you to. Danan scrambled back to his seat, afraid that any hesitation might provoke the crazy Klingon to more violence. What did I do to deserve to be born into such a cruel universe, he thought bitterly. This post was written by Rico and read by Rico. The tall soldier walked past the bridge turbolift with the imperial symbol of sword through the Terran homeworld and smiled. The battle was going well. His ship had managed to not only damage the Borg vessel, but they had been able to board her and capture a very interesting prisoner, one he had thought dead. As he continued to pace, his crew made certain to pay close attention to their stations as he passed each of them. He was an imposing figure, and years of command and intimidation had created a rigid authority that he enjoyed. But he had not always been this way. An attempt on his life years ago that had nearly succeeded had cost him his wife and had left him much more hardened. As he finally sat down in his command chair, he rubbed the short black and gray hair as he often did when feeling frustrated. He accidentally brushed the top of his right ear that was not as pointed as it had been before the attack he was forcing himself to push deep into the back of his disciplined mind. The slightly weary man felt the presence of his first officer before he saw him appear at his side. When he did look at him, he could tell the blue-skinned Andorian was pleased with the news he wanted to deliver. The battle goes well, Admiral, 
The Borg vessel is damaged and the Tiberius is holding her own. Shall I inform the Emperor of our progress? The lanky officer said with a slight smirk. You would like that, wouldn't you, Zrem? Do you really think the Emperor wants to learn of how his flagship is doing from a blue-skinned alien like you? I certainly don't think so. Admiral Talbot said as he continued to look forward out the viewscreen. He rubbed the long stubble on his chin. I only wish to tell the Emperor of our glorious battle and skill today. I'm certain he would. Zrem was cut off as Talbot jumped up and backhanded him across the chin. The Andorian fell slightly back and grabbed the bridge railing to catch himself. He wiped at the blood forming on his chin as his personal guards of each officer quickly moved forward, but each were waved back by their masters. I thought I made myself clear before this. I will make any reports to the Emperor. The Tiberius is mine. Best remember that, Commander, Talbert said as he forced himself to sit back down. He had never liked Zrem. The Andorian had risen in rank too quickly for Talbot's taste, much of the time under very questionable circumstances. Forgive my insolence, sir. It won't happen again, Zrem said as he pulled himself back up and adjusted his tunic. His attempt at sincerity didn't fool Talbot as he glared at him with his icy blue eyes. See that it doesn't. Now go see Margon about this prisoner they brought back. Confirm his identity and report back to me, Zrem. Talbot barked out and relaxed slightly. Yes, Admiral, by your leave, Zrem said as he gave the familiar hand salute which Talbot returned, if somewhat slowly. He turned and left the bridge with his personal blue-skinned guard trailing him. Once the lift doors closed, he grunted heavily and pounded the wall with his fist. His antenna were still twitching visibly when the lift doors opened and he headed down the corridor. As he walked on with his guard, Zrem heard a short whistle that he knew well coming from a nearby control alcove. He smiled and stepped inside as he motioned for his guard to stand watch. Hey there, blue boy. Looks like someone got your antenna in a bunch. The familiar voice said as Zrem felt arms slip around from behind and a sweet smell fill his nose. He grabbed the hand on his chest and spun the attractive blonde woman around in front of him. They kissed quickly and hard, each of them enjoying it immensely. Now what brings the Admiral's woman down into this section, Lieutenant Barton? Next up, a post by Just X, read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. They are up to something. Bring me answers. The sultry female voice projected into the minds of her children as the shadow-cloaked female form observed distant battles and assimilations on the view screen deep in the heart of her personal vessel. New genetic material from only the finest of new species filtered through the cooperative and downloaded to their nanites for enhancement during the drone's next rejuvenation cycles. New minds were embraced with the warmth and power of unity with the cooperative. Azure light radiated from the biomechanical systems and provided pale illumination compared to the light generated from the dozens of view screens as the queen monitored each and every one of her children. Millions of voices worked in harmony towards singular goals, her goals. Millions of minds considered solutions to the thousands of issues, all at her direction. Each was a unique voice, bound and dedicated to the common purpose, hers. Enlarge grid 534-563 and bring to primary view screen, she said, as the machines about her carried out her command with no hesitation. Full scan of area. 
a rift in the fabric of space appeared before her. Its image provided by one of the many cloaked, rhombic pyramid-shaped scout vessels of the cooperative. Information flooded through the cooperative and to her as the ship conducted its scans. Alpha signal detected. Impossible, she thought to herself. It has been years since she had issued the first commands to search for such a signal, and not much longer than she had given up hope for ever finding it again. With a stray thought, orders were issued and implemented. Hidden agents, workers, and drones of the cooperative were tasked with their new objectives. Locate anything that came from the other side of the rift and secure it. Dispatch the nearest attack vessels to secure the rift. She would personally attend to the new puzzle, and her cooperative instantly understood the importance of her objectives. The collective had invaded space that the cooperative claimed. Their transgressions would not go unpunished, nor would the involvement of any of the lesser species in the quadrant that managed to involve itself in her business. The last post for this chapter was written by Hawkeye Meds and read by Hawkeye Meds. The glass doors closed gently and formed the symbol of the Empire. The Carlin took a deep breath of fresh air and scanned the gravity chamber in the centre of the room which housed one of his guests. Sauntering up to the prisoner, the Carlin leaned against the body which flinched instantly. So, I'm having a bit of a bad day, so I'm going to cut, <laughs> so to speak, straight to the chase. What were you doing outside the Emperor's chambers? Silence came from the prisoner. The Carlin gently pushed the floating body. Come on now, friend. Let's not be rude. Speak, and all will be fine. Yes? Still, no answer, but the terrified darting eyes spoke a thousand words. No words? No answers, just silence. Yeah? Okay. So be it. The Carlin thrust a scalpel he had taken from Margon's ward into the heart of the helpless victim, and the interrogator smiled as the body twitched and shook until it finally came to rest. Pressing a button on his belt, the lifeless body began to lower from the gravity chamber. Facing the shocked expression of the victim's face, Decarlan cut the stitching that held the lips together. You can come out from the shadows, Mr. Dan. Dunn emerged from the corner of the room. Wasn't that a bit pointless? Turning, Decarlan walked towards Dunn. Would you rather I take my anger out on you, or her? Dunn lowered his head. He had worked with the interrogator long enough to know not to criticise his methods. Forgive me, sir. The Carlin put his arm around Dunn's shoulder, the scalpel blade dangerously close to his eye. That insufferable doctor has a human that I am interested in. Go and make sure he doesn't kill him. When he's had his fun, bring it here. Dunn nodded and began to leave, but stopped as the interrogator added to his sentence. First, bring me the Klingon. So that was this week's reading of the story so far, and now I think we should discuss it a little bit. Wow. Yeah, tell me about it. I love love the beginning of Act 2, I mean, of the Acts. I mean, like, Act 1 was the same way. It was just an explosion of information, and this one is just double the amount because these people are mean. I get, all you people have like evil, evil. So I could never play Quinn evil. I guess I could if I had to. But oh man, I mean, what stands out most I think is Margon's torturing Quinn. Yeah. Just because well, it was my character. Meds is mean too. Oh my but... god, yeah, Meds is. Uh, he's vying for the evil person against Margon. Yeah. 
Oh, they have a bunch of pent-up anger, I think, that's coming out of their writing. Okay, yeah, it's good therapy. Especially Mr. Moyer. Uh, yes. I would have never have thought I w- he would be able to express something like that. Obviously, he must watch a lot of TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, the, the, the scene that, po- that pops out of my mind the most is where Quinn wakes up. And Moyer, uh, Moyer's character, Margon, is standing over him and is asking him questions like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? And he's doing things to him. And then he squeezes this tube that he stuck into Quinn's head and makes him pass out. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe that when I read it. Oh, my God. I know. I was just totally amazed. I think it's great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. Every single post that, that people have done has been fantastic. Um, and well... Sabril's not evil, so no, yeah, that's she, like the main character's not evil. You're right, but she, you I know, but, but when, but she's evolved because she was supposed to be evil when we started out with this. Yeah, universe. well, no, she was never going to be evil. Oh, I thought you wanted to play her yeah. evil. I we when we first were discussing it, you know, in our uh, Skype meetings and yeah. stuff, I thought about it, but then decided because we were talking about how Spock wasn't evil and yeah. the Vulcans were part of the Resistance, and so I thought, well, maybe she's a victim. And so, but she was going to be a spy all, all along. She yeah. Be a spy. But she's really just manipulative. <laughs> so, yep. In, in the in the um, Samson and Delilah way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just uh, what, another really cool aspect, especially for my character, is that I'm excited to see when he goes back to the regular universe. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with Counselor Margon, because he's the counselor on her ship. Yeah. So he he knows that I was taken away, or he will know that I was taken away, tortured, and then brought back. And now he wants to counsel me, counsel me, even though he his alternate character was the one that is the one that tormented me. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to seeing and having you know, and in the regular universe, Quinn and Margon are fairly close. So it'll be interesting to see how our relationship evolves once I get well, once Quinn gets back I keep talking like I'm Quinn yeah. <laughs> once I get back to the regular universe um, we'll see how but I'm looking forward to that plus you know with his his connection to Savril and his connection with mm-hmm. uh, the Colin and everybody it will be interesting to see um, how he reacts to the, to everybody back in the regular universe once and especially if, since if he gets back you know we still I don't know what I'm gonna do with Quinn Especially since all the torture has been going on with him. I mean, oh, he was tortured on the Borg vessel, then he was—he's tortured in the mirror universe in, in on the Empire's ship. Hopefully, when he finally gets to the cooperative, they will treat him well. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Poor Quinn is not having a good experience in the Bor- in the mirror universe. So, uh, what else is happening? <clears throat> well, let's see here. Uh, oh, uh, Trucky Geek posted his first one for Reese. Mm-hmm. And that's his first post since season two when his character died in the regular universe. Yes. He's playing his dead character in the mirror universe. Which is awesome. So, yeah, so he's kind of – I don't know if he's going to – he's going to – I don't know if he has Continue. any plans to stick yeah. around, but that would if be awesome. He, if he did. does, we'll figure out how we can bring mm-hmm. him over to this universe. But uh, yeah, so I look forward to getting more posts from him because it's always it's always fun to get a new person involved, mm-hmm. even if he's not new and he's just a returning person. 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think the story's moving along great so far. You know, Act 1 did great, and then it slowed down a little bit, and we knew that we had to get Act 2 going. So we got Act 2 going, and it's just going full force right now. Yeah. So, um... There's a whole bunch of other posts that we didn't read this time around that we're going to have to read next week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I have to to pick a cutoff time before Mm -hmm. I... Yeah. And unfortunately, people tend to post on the weekend, which is obviously, you know, the better time for most people. Mm Mm-hmm. So... And I, I cut it off on Thursday when I make the list of what needs to be read. So, But yeah, so this season's going great. I think it's fantastic. Everyone's been doing a great job. Everyone's been, you know, who who want to be evil have been really evil. Um, I'm looking forward to some other people posting who haven't started yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a few of our main characters who haven't posted at all in the Mirror Universe. So, uh-huh. um, Who's left? I, uh, I think we have Ronin. Yes. Rava Ronin. Des's character. In Stitches. Mm-hmm. And has Iceman posted? Um, he and I are doing a joint post. Okay, but we haven't gotten and, anything yet. Well, yeah, actually we worked, we were going to work on a joint post and I just asked him for his approval and posted what I did, but we're going, yeah, he's going to okay. do more. Okay. So. And, um, I think that's it. Rico. Oh no, Rico posted that they call it uh, a Zerum. Um, he's actually playing Zrem and he's playing Admiral Talbot. That's right. Who in this universe is the captain, and Zrem is his backstabbing uh, captain, our second off- our first yeah, officer. Yeah, first officer. Yeah, and he stole <laughs> Barton. Marie Barton is the captain's woman, and Zrem right. stole her <laughs> from, from uh, Talbot. Yeah. So. So I'm looking – I see a death in the future or at least a battle. Yeah. Some battle for power. <laughs> so there's some good stuff coming up. Yes. Um, so yeah. So I guess – is that it for a story so far? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to final thoughts. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. Plug into your alcove as we communicate our final thoughts. All right, so our final thoughts. Um, keep doing what you guys are doing because you're doing a fantastic job. Yes. Um, I would like to, you know, people who aren't participating, please, please email us, PM Jen and I, so we can get you going into the story um, if you need help. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't need help, then that's fine. Just go ahead and but post something, at least one post. Get, introducing your character, um, you know, how are they different from your other character, but uh, Jen and I can definitely help you out there. Yes. Uh, and we also have I, – I know you posted something in the OOC about uh, the heads of each alliance, or each group. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. So if, if you're part of the Borg – if you want to be part of the Borg Collective, contact me. If you want to be part of the Cooperative, contact JustX. If you want to be part of the Alliance – you're contacting Wraith seventeen oh one, and the rebellion is Jen. No, the Empire. Empire. That's yeah. it. That's right. Empire. Yes. Is Jen. So if you want to be any part of any of those groups and you want to do joint posts, then contact uh, those people. You can also find that in the OOC season eight section of the RPG. 
Yes, but keep in mind, too, um, Wraith posted something about Terrans need not apply because his ship is captained by a Klingon, and he's very anti <laughs> any other race. So yes. if you do play a Terran on his ship, you may be the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Just letting you know. Yes, but you can still contact him about the Empire. Uh-huh. Um, can, uh, contact me about the Empire? Oh, man, too many, too many <laughs> things. You can still contact him about the Alliance. Yes, yes. You know, even if you're not a Klingon and you want to be part of the Alliance, he, he, he's definitely the head writer of that section. So yeah. he'll find some place for you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what else is going on? Um, if you have any, I guess we should um, clear up some confusion that a couple of the new writers had about who's who again. Okay. <clears throat> The only person from the regular universe right now in this part of the story is Quinn. Everyone else is our mirror characters. They're all from the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. So um, you, they will not know anybody from the other side of the rift, if that makes sense. The only person that will will be Quinn. And that was a little confusing to some some people. And then other another person was confused by the torture and who's torturing who. Hmm. Mar- Margon is our Dr. Frankenstein. He only tortures Borgs. And the Colin is our worm tongue from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he tortures anybody who comes into the brig. He's just multi-purpose. He, he doesn't have any discrimination. Yeah. He'll torture anybody. He's the interrogator. Yes, he's the interrogator. Argon is the experimenter. Yes. So. Yeah. So uh, just keep the. They're both evil. Both evil. And both <laughs> both writers do great jobs at writing evil. Yes, they scare me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna start calling uh, Ducalin Jack the Ripper. Oh, see that? Yeah, that would make sense. He is British. Yes. So yeah, I think he's drawing from that. Mm-hmm. But uh. Yeah, so um, uh, everyone's doing a great job. I want to thank everyone who read this week. Uh, we had a few less people, so I had to pack up more on some people, and I appreciate everyone doing their part and uh, reading those posts. Uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job on those readings. Uh, and it is a lot of fun to listen to them. So. And I know people appreciate it who aren't part of the RPG and who are just enjoying the story as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are one of those people, then send us an email or uh, audio piece letting us know what you like about the RPG. We're still willing to play some audio bits or read emails. Um, so far, we haven't gotten any other than the one from Germany. Yes. <laughs> Our, <laughs> I guess people don't like us, Jen. No, I guess not. Although yeah. we do get some – we get comments from the forum members – in yes, the in the room post, but but no, yeah. no, no nice long emails, no, or uh, or audio bites. <laughs> but you know, I guess we don't do it because of the fame. We just do it because we like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the money I'm working for. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, I yeah. need to go buy me some new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you feel like sending us an audio piece or. Uh, a piece of music or just an email commenting about something that we can read you go right ahead and do it you can send it to the ready room podcast at gmail.com that's the ready room podcast at gmail.com 
so hopefully we'll get something. Anything. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't care. But yes, I you do. do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to sound pathetic, but oh well. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> All right, so I think, is that it? Are we done? I think that's it. All right, so this is Kenny. And this is Jen. Hailing frequencies closed. Did we get it that time? (laughs) Yay! We got it. (laughs) All right. All music used on the Record Room Podcast is provided by Moyer777 and Metron07. And now, here's Rick Moyer, the master of parodies, with his classical tune, Just the Two of Us. again So beaming up we have sometimes one together body and minds all of a sudden I'm in you Just the two of us We can make this spaceship fly Just the two of us Just the two of us Just the two of us Merge together as one guy Just the two of us and I So we have to pick a name But it isn't a fun game Cause Neelix and Tuvok just don't jive So we try some just for kicks We come up with the name Tuvix Together our minds are sharp so far Just the two of us We can make this spaceship fly Just the two of us Just the two of us With a sparkle in our eye Just the two of us You and I As she starts to fall in love However she can't let go of The fact that Tuvok has a wife And in the mess hall by and large Tuvix rescues and takes charge Making better food than Neelix ever did Janeway uses the hypo spray The isotopes come into play Neelix and Tuvok are their own guys Just the two of us We can make this spaceship fly Just the two of us Just the two of us Just the two of us We used to be a flower and two guys Just the two of us You and I Just the two of us We can make this spaceship fly Just the two of us Just the two of us Just the two of us 
We can make this spaceship fly Just the two of us You and I